This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for November 10th, 2020. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. My name is Drew Messenger Michaels. I'm very glad you're here. So the election's over in the U.S. There's a lot left to do, even in terms of the election in some ways. But I, for one, and I know a lot of other people in this country and around the world, now feel like it is at least possible to think about something else, because I think that has felt impossible for a lot of people for quite a while. So in that spirit, let's have a conversation here on the show that has nothing in particular to do with the election or indeed with the U.S. Today, Nick Garen from Thunder Lotus Games, creative director over there, is here to talk about Spiritfarer. This conversation, I should say, is not pure escapism. Spiritfarer is a beautiful and lovely place to be, but it is very much a game about death. So we do talk about death uh, in some specifics in some cases. Nick did research at end-of-life facilities in addition to looking at sort of world beliefs about death. So we go into all of that. Uh, There is also one brief point where we talk about, you know, metaphors for dealing with difficult subject matter, and there there is a brief discussion of sexual assault. Uh, I will put a proper uh, timestamp in the show notes for anybody who wants to skip that part. It's pretty short. I think that's all I have to say other than, glad you're here. I know I said that, but I really am. Enjoy. Good to meet you as well. Good to meet yeah. you as well. I'm, I'm really glad we could make this happen. I think, did we meet really briefly at PAX East or were you, were you there the, uh, were you there this past year before? No, I wasn't at PAX crazy? East actually. Okay. Yeah, because it's, you mean PAX East, it was in um, last year, right? Like before the world uh, was destroyed by the pandemic. <laughs> I mean, maybe. remarkably, it was this year, but yes, before the world <laughs> really? was just like, like, a, like a week before the world was destroyed oh, yeah, by right. pandemic. It was in March. No, I wasn't there. Uh, I wasn't there because I should have been there, but I had a, I had my gallbladder removed a week oh my prior. God. I know it was really weird. I mean, the, just a week before, I was like going back from skiing with my, with my family, and I I, I felt a, a terrible pain, you know, in the abdomen, and then you know the the that night I had my my gallbladder removed, so uh, oh, wow. I just couldn't drive for because we planned to drive to Boston for uh, you know with the team, and uh, I just couldn't make it. So yeah, it was a bit of a bummer, but you know. <laughs> it's definitely a bummer. I'm glad glad you're okay. Yeah, I, I'm I'm perfectly fine now. Actually, it's it's really funny to think that you know we 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 did you know that event was actually held like a few weeks before everything started because it probably like two weeks after that when everyone went back from Boston. I mean we um we closed the studio and then we went on to mm-hmm. to be in like in a, in the final line of shipping spirit for like in a in a six month you know uh, remote work. Oh, it was intense. 
Yeah, no, I mean, and, and even the time it happened, you know, there were a bunch of developers who had decided not to show up. There was a lot of sort of, you know, space on the show floor that was empty or that had been sort of taken over by indies who wouldn't have gotten as much space as they did under normal circumstances because, like, Sony wasn't really there and all of that. And you're right, right if it had been scheduled right, yes. for if it, had, if it had been scheduled for two weeks later, it would have been either it would have been canceled or there would have been fewer people there or it would have been a super spreader event. So yeah, it's because, like because G- yeah. GDC was still in the air at this time, and the, that's they right. Decided not to to hold the event maybe like uh, a couple of weeks after uh, PAX East, that's right. It feels yeah, like in, right. ages ago, to me actually, because you now be, uh, the, the game shipping and all that, it feels like another lifetime. <laughs> no, completely, completely. I mean, I'd, this year in general feels like, you know, each month is a decade or so, but I can only <laughs> imagine the extra layer of shipping a game during this and having, you know, having the game be well-received and, and all of that and, and having the game be kind of like timely for the moment we're in in a lot of ways <laughs> yeah. i think yeah like games thinking about death uh in a in a, a more mature or a more th- you know pensive way i think th- there's <laughs> there's something in the water right now and it, it's not a total coincidence but it's also the case that most of the games i'm referring to started development way before 2020 so it's not as though it's just a reaction to this moment it just sort of happened that way right uh, it's a, it's a good question actually because uh, you know my my initial reaction uh, when I actually got the realization that we would ship that game uh, amidst a, a global pandemic I was I was actually pretty much scared like mm. I was really thinking that people wouldn't want to hear about death at all because they were like surrounded by it and I I, I was really really afraid that they wouldn't take it you know um, the way that did they did and uh, yeah you're right I mean all those games started way before and. I remember when we started, um, there was that you could still feel that trend a bit. I mean, we had tons of people around us. Um, we've been partnering up, part, sorry, partnering up with um, a publishing fund named Kowloon Games, and we exchange a lot through uh, between developers. And uh, a lot of us were actually like, for a long time, thinking about games that would be a bit more on the on the bright side. I've said it in brackets <laughs> because for Spirit Fair, it's not exactly that, but it's still the same wholesome idea of doing a game that is more inclusive and more empathetic. Uh, so I think the trend is actually older, but now it emerges because, of course, you know, games that have been, you know, worked on for so long are actually coming to market. But yeah, I was having that discussion like uh, some time ago with a uh, uh, former Assassin's Creed uh, creative director, Jean Guidon, and uh, uh, he was mentioning Fall Guys and uh, Among Us and uh, Ooblets and Spiritfarer and all those games that feel like they are more colorful in a way like a bit more you know uh kinder and it felt like a trend i don't know if it is to be honest maybe i hope so actually I think it is. I mean, to the point that you have like a wholesome games direct and all those kinds of things, right? And it's, I, you know, Spiritfarer doesn't sit entirely in that lane. But like, if we're using the color theory metaphor, I think it's probably fair to say uh, Spiritfarer is not lighter than your previous games, your studio's previous games, but it is brighter, if that makes sense, right? Like it, it is, it is very different in tone from the previous work. And I think you said like from a design philosophy perspective, what I, it was either you or someone else on the team during a Reddit AMA said that all of your games are about death but this one uniquely in your catalog so far is not about killing that changes the tone significantly right yeah, yeah absolutely uh probably i said because it's a um you know i joined the company for spirit for i was uh, in ubisoft before that and uh yeah the the all the core thematic principles of the game made by the studio had death um but i mean maybe standard was not exactly on death uh, <laughs> Jotun started with the death of the main character, 
uh, and Sender, uh, you know, narrative uh, red line uh, led the player towards that death. Uh, whereas Spirit for the death was was front and center because it was meant to be that you know metaphor about about Charon and how he would actually be a different character than the the, the dreary dark Charon everyone knew. Um, but yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's perfectly right. I mean, the, the the killing was out of the equation, and probably at first for me, I would admit that it was uh, in part due to the reaction of me uh, going to a new studio and having more creative freedom and leeway to do things um, the way I thought they should be. And not, you know, stabbing people uh, in the back like I did in Assassin's Creed for, for a decade. <laughs> for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You worked on, I know you worked on Assassin's Creed Unity. Uh, all in all, which which Assassin's Creed's have your have your fingerprints on them? I started working on Assassin's Creed after I shipped a very terrible game called uh, <laughs> Sean White's Kate. Um, oh, I, I remember that game. Yeah, yeah actually. Yeah. You, yeah, Ubisoft for a long while, they decided to, <laughs> I really know, have no clue why. But I wanted to do skate games, and uh, it was my first job at Ubisoft going into uh, the skating franchise. But I was working on on EA Skate before that at EA a couple of years before. So they so they signed me. Oh, you've been working on a skate game? Yeah, awesome. You can do Sean White Skate, which was extremely different uh, and problematic because they wouldn't take skating uh, skating uh, seriously. They would like think skating was terrible, which is a, a terrible actually way to, to tackle the games. Hey, we want to do a game about skate, but we hate skate <laughs> you know? anyway. was it just like a pure marketing decision like skate games are the hot thing right now we need to make one but we think it's dumb or, or was it more just like like I the, have no the idea. maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. it was like the uh you know happenstance and a, a meeting between you know someone at ubisoft and and sean white he was pretty big back then you know in uh sure sure what it was 2008 nine something like this uh but anyway it didn't last for long and then i, I joined the uh, assassin's creed team there were already several teams like two teams you know in parallel and I joined the team that finished Brotherhood. So I finished Brotherhood. Then I moved on to uh, the last Ezio in our trilogy, so Assassin's Creed Revelations. Then I moved to Assassin's Creed Unity, uh, a bit helping people on, on, on Black Flag, uh, just on the side. Then I moved on to um, Syndicate for a little while. And then I finished on Origin. So I, I kind of you know worked on a few... Yeah, you, the whole sort of um, if you if you think of Assassin's Creed in like three phases, like the initial push and then like Ezio onto the new sort of globe trotting part of the series, you know, like like you saw it from you know it's 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 origins, terrible word, but for, you know from what it originally was into sort of the modern area uh, era of Assassin's Creed. That's that's a pretty interesting perspective you must have, but it's also yes, as you say, a whole lot of stabbing people in the back, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I could see wanting Actually, something different. Yeah. To, to be honest, it's a, I think it was a problem for me because I, I I really love the franchise. I mean, you you said it quite right. I mean, they, you can actually distinguish several phases between the the games and the types of games they are. Uh, but I really believe that at its core, you know, Assassin's Creed had something that no other game had, which was a way to uh, really honestly explore the past and and to I, I'm a real history. Uh, buff. I mean, I love history. I love, you know, uh, history from Europe and uh, Northern America, from Asia. I-, I love history in general and geography. Um, so I'm a bit of a nerd in that regard. And Assassin's Creed was awesome to me because I could feel like I was actually delving into a place that actually existed with people that I would, you know, be really eager to meet. And, and it was absolutely, absolutely awesome. Uh, yet uh, to do that, uh, your agency, so the, the uh, your toolbox to interact with the world uh, was pretty limited in my opinion you could only like you know uh, 
going into stealth and dive and kill. Uh, everything else was going through cutscenes, which were of a very high quality, but still not interactive. You were um, not doing so, that stuff. Your character yeah, is, yeah. Exactly. So to me, in that you know, uh, um, paradigm of actual uh, game making, it felt to me like Assassin's Creed was a bit lacking. It was an awesome game, and it was really wonderful the way we recreated those worlds and uh, these you know, um, time periods. Yet I would feel that it left me a bit empty in the sense that I couldn't really interact with it the way I thought I should have been uh, able to do. Right, right. This this is the great paradox of AAA games, right? Like they're 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 the ones pushing the technology forward, so you can just like make Paris or something. But they, you know, with that scale, which you almost want to call freedom, comes a huge number of constraints. Um, I always love the way Yoko Taro talked about this. The guy who who did the near series, near near Automata. Uh, when he yeah, was talking yeah. about Drac, yeah, yeah, he said like as game technology has increased, you would think that it becomes possible for a game to be anything. But actually, what we expect from a game is quite strict, especially you know like a like a sixty or now. $70 game. We expect it to be violent. We expect it to be long, right? Like these, these things are actually pretty strict constraints on what's possible. Um, like, like you're not free to just follow. Uh, there can't be an Assassin's Creed that's that where, where, where your main character decides not to be an assassin because it's more interesting to just like own a nightclub in Paris or something. Yeah. That's sort of not within the, the possibility space. Absolutely, but it's a very complex problem because you still you both have you know uh, on one side you have the engine the way the game's been built so far so you want to piggyback on what's been done already you don't want to re- reinvent the wheel each time even if you feel like do- doing it you you still have a core of principles that you know uh, yes so you can evolve and change you know a bit its mechanics but still you have to have that baggage of thing you know uh, that burden of what the game was before so you have to continue forward but even in an IP uh, I think it's right um, to consider the fact that the more money you have involved, the harder it becomes to do something extremely original because you're always afraid that you will, you know, uh, not meet your audience. So it has to be as large as possible. I think it's a bit of a, of an untrue uh, concept that developers impose on themselves. It's a bit of a censorship um, that they really honestly think uh, is the right way. And I'm not entirely sure. I think you could still try to do something different with a very high budget game and still succeed um it's 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 a bit of a of um how does that it's a bit of a bias in the in the triple a industry thinking that the games you are making at read are reaching a very large audience when they actually don't uh <laughs> assassin's creed sold well at the peak maybe 15 16 million copies it's a it's a huge amount of copies for a video game industry yet it's very far from the number of people who would be like remotely interested in watching game of thrones uh on tv you know uh so you feel like you're doing something which is quote-unquote mainstream which it really isn't uh you're still catering to a specific part of the, the video game player spectrum so you could take this risk but you don't because you feel like it's not the right way uh, yeah and the right avenue to take i think it's a bit it's... Of, a, of a mismatch in my opinion I totally agree. I think I think it's conventional wisdom that maybe that maybe uh, isn't that wise in some ways, right? Because what do players, you know, generally, if you can generalize the group of, you know, capital G self-described gamers, what do they uh, seek or tell you they seek? They they want the latest, the greatest. They want every new game to be the best game ever. They want innovation. So like they explicitly fetishize newness or or something different. I think you know they will take more of the same, but I think you know. The, the 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 what's generally considered the safe corporate tactic is to just let the malaise or the dissatisfaction set in very slowly give them more of what they think they want not take a risk but but to your point 
besides that, even apart from that being obviously very creatively limiting for the team working on the games, I, I think it, it misreads the room because you're exactly right. It's for you're, you're pigeonholing yourself into people who are really, really, really into Assassin's Creed as opposed to everybody. Right, a game for a game that really was for the mass market might look quite different, and you don't necessarily know it's going to catch on. Game of Thrones, you know, no one expected it to be the mainstream success that it was. You know, the TV show, I mean, right? The, the books, the books hit about the audience they were built for. They were very much for someone. The show broke out. How do you bottle that lightning? Right, you only do it by trying things that are interesting, and eventually something takes. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But so yeah. To go back to the to the initial argument, I think it makes sense to 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 say that because it's I think and that's I felt it. It's somewhat true. Uh, people will take less risks because they they have a bigger boat to maneuver because they have a much bigger amount of money because they have uh, much higher pressure in a way. Uh, so it makes sense that you wouldn't be as you know um, dramatically creative, but. You know, you have to know that all these people, all these people, they want to do it. I mean, they there is not one single developer in Ubisoft that is, you know, satisfied with having to take a decision that feels less creative or a bit more, you know, catering to a, a broader audience. They will, they all are extremely talented individuals, and they they are just like part of a machine that can't be that uh, risk taking in the long run. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, and and it, it leaves you in an interesting place where I love the the tourism aspect of Assassin's Creed games, but I, you know, I, I eventually find stabbing people all the time a little bit deadening. It doesn't bother me too much because I've played so many games that it rolls off me and then I take a step back and think, am I a monster? And the game thinks I might be a monster and whatever, that whole spiral. But really just like the thing that turns me off is the way it disappears into its own conventions after a while. It's very, very interested in its own mythology and, and the parallel, you know, current time story. And I, I just personally me speaking, I don't care, right? I just want to. I want to be in a place, um, and I, I think that maybe, true. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you feel the same in in, in some sense, but it, I it do, and of, I tell yeah. you that that that's you know that's what you know propped me into uh, thinking about Spirit for before the game happened because it's a funny thing. I mean, I, I was working on um, I don't remember which game, uh, probably on Origin, and there was that you know. Uh, that developer feature that everyone used for for you know for all the game that shipped, which was you know you, you can uh, go in the world and you can make your character fly around to to browse the world uh, you know more rapidly than having to to walk through the distance, mm-hmm. and you can actually by pressing a combination, a combination of buttons on the controller you can spawn enemies the, the, the enemies they, they spawn from your character, and what they do is they fall on the surface which is called <laughs> nav mesh so a navigation mesh where where character NPCs can walk around. Uh, and it's pretty fun because you, you just like spawn people from you. And then these people, they are physicalized, so they fall on the ground. And then it's it doesn't take a long a while uh, before any developer would actually like go a pretty high distance and just like spawn a very high amount of NPCs that just like fall and crash on the ground. And then you have that mountain of bodies, you know, accumulating on the ground. And it's pretty fun in itself. I mean, it's typically polygons and physicalized people and, and dolls and ragdolls. It's pretty funny. Uh, and I remember like watching an, a level designer on, on a radio doing this, which was what I did, you know, ten years ago. And I don't know why, at that precise moment, it struck me like, man, all those people are dead. It's terrible. <laughs> He's actually mm. like spawning lives, and they just fall on the ground and die. And I don't know why, <laughs> after that moment, I just I could only think about the poor guard. I mean, that guard. He's just like, you know, he's behind a bush. He's been placed there by a designer, of course, because he's an easy target. He's always, you know, facing backside, so he's looking the other way or kicking a bucket and just, like, naturally expecting you to come behind and stab him. 
it is going to die. And he's he hasn't done anything actually. Why would that help Cousin Finn Assassin? I mean, yes, he's he's a he's a challenge between you and your objective, which is exactly the point of a video game. But right. still, I mean, in the context of the world, he's got a family. He's there for a reason. He's not a really bad guy. He's just a guard. Why would you actually kill him? He's got a family, that poor guy, you know. And yeah, since that moment, it always felt to me like we were killing tons of people yet never really considered them. That's and it's weird. almost weirder when games then want you to feel something about a specific person, right? A person who's important to the story. Their death is supposed to land really hard when you've killed hundreds, maybe, <laughs> of people on the way there. That's always really, Absolutely. really strange. Yeah. I also, just for our listeners, I'll connect this to something uh, uh, Nils Denikin said about uh, Mutazione. Um, not that yeah. long ago. I don't know if you've had a chance Nothing to play game. that game. It's yeah, really yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Um, he was he was talking about how when he you know part of the thing that got him thinking about this kind of game, a game about being in a community, was when he played Fallout Three, and you know he, he wanted to like talk to his neighbors, like have a neighborly chat, as he said at the end of the day about how hard it was killing mutants that day, and like you know where like 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 he wanted to feel like he was part of that place rather than it just being like you said a series of obstacles, a series of transactional interactions. Um, and I think again, that's the that's sort of the, you know among the paradoxes of AAA development is you you spend so, so many talented people spend so much time creating these characters that are so credible and so interesting and so compelling, and then they're sort of just bodies that you know bang up against the player, and that's you know a bit of a waste in a certain sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's I think Spirit point. Spirit Fair does very much not that. <laughs> Spirit Fair is very much about <laughs> the value of individual lives, and again, taking like the process of death seriously, uh, because it's not about killing. It's not flippant about death. So you know, we're, we're a good ways into this, and we haven't actually said. <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, could you just describe what Spirit Fairer is? Yes, yeah, so Spirit Fairer is. Uh, you know, it's meant to be a management game first. Uh, but really, it's meant to be a, a game that lets player experience the uh, concept of loss and having people, you know, leave you. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much uh, the the content itself, but you play as Stella and Stella and Daffodil, her cat. Uh, the two of them are the newly appointed Spirit Furs, which is a function in itself. So Spirit Fur is the concept of being an entity that finds spirits and fulfill their last dying wishes and, and accompany them towards what seems like another afterlife, through what we call the F-door. At the beginning of the game, you meet Charon, so the uh, Greek mytho- the mythological you know, figure that helps, well, actually, that carries uh, fairy souls uh, through the river Styx to bring them to um, to the literal hell. Uh, and it's the same thing, it's very fair, except it's a colorful, cozy game, uh, which is, in part, uh, Farming simulation in a way, uh, crafting game and and platforming game in which you have a very em- uh, strong emphasis on 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 uh, interactive narrative where you talk with characters and you have to take care of those characters, those spirits. And it turns out many of the spirits are connected to Stella in a way, and you can uh, freely discover how and why, and why is this all interconnected. But you have to care for others uh, so they can actually be. In a in a you know in a broad way at at peace with who they are and and their imminent demise. Yeah, it's it's so. First of all, let me say it's truly beautiful, and uh, and it Thank made you. me feel a great many feelings uh, rather strongly. <laughs> was, I finished it yesterday, and I uh, it was uh, oh, good. And when I say finished, I didn't I didn't hundred percent it. There is a ton of yeah, game yeah, yeah. in this game, I know, but I yeah. you know I, I got everyone who can go through the Everdoor through the Everdoor, and okay. I and I saw the ending right. So like I I've seen most of what there is to see. 
Um, I, I shouldn't say that because there's so much game in this game, but it's it's definitely a game about you know in, instead of being again, it, 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 I love the way you described it because it really is a game about care and a game about labor and a game about kindness, right? Like you said that this is a kinder approach to death. And I love that word because, you know, one of the things about the world without spoiling too much about the mythos is, you know, your your job is to help someone be ready to go through the Everdoor and go on to whatever's next. Um, and just, just the notion of a universe where you don't go through that door till you're ready is such a humane, kind, beautiful thing, which is obviously quite different from from you know real life where people don't necessarily are not necessarily ready you know when it's time yeah. and i do think spirit fair complicates that a little bit and thinks about the implications of its own rules and all of that but it is it is fundamentally a game that like doesn't shy away from really difficult emotions but right. approaches them from a fundamental place of care and kindness and like like the the nobility of doing work for other people uh it's 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 beautiful in that sense thank you yeah we we try to make to make the game as honest and genuine as possible. We really thought the game would be true if it was actually saying a true story in a way. Many characters are inspired by uh, relatives of team members who passed away. In the game, there are three characters that are quite heavily inspired by both my grandmother, my grandfather, and a friend of mine who died when he was 18. Mm. And um, at the very beginning, the the way to make uh, death a bit more, you know, acceptable. It's not really, it's not, it's never really acceptable. Uh, Really, I mean, you cannot say, "Hey, play Spirit Fur, and then you're fine. You're set. You, know, you can you can die in peace. It's okay. It never really there, happens. I mean, there is still, this phrase. You know, there's this phrase, death positivity, and it doesn't mean not caring or, yeah, or being no, completely absolutely. okay with it. Yeah, but yeah. it just you know, it just a tiny, a very very tiny. Uh, it feels like it. You know, uh, fear of death is a huge wall, and and experience like Spirit Fur could be a very tiny micro pickaxe to help you just make a little chip in that wall and be accustomed to it and be used to its presence and and think about it and see that maybe there is something that that is not just drama and and, and you know um, horror is still there you still feel that pain um, but the the concept for me at first was uh, to make us and maybe our players understand and see that we are the results of people around us that influenced our lives. Mm. And they might die, yes, but they still in a way live in us in many different uh, ways. Like uh, It's funny because at the one, one person I, I, I met at the while searching death and, and you know, end-of-life experiences for, for, for human beings uh, told me about... She, she actually showed me a picture of her great-great-grandmother. Uh, and she was pretty proud to say that she was actually very much looking like her uh, mm. four generations prior. Uh, so her great-great-grandmother, she never actually met her. She did, she, she lived like a century ago, yet she was she had the same exact face. You know, she told me, look, she looked like me. And it was true. It, it was. Uh, and the same goes for, for accent. I'm, I'm a French person. I, I, uh, you know, I came to Canada 15 years ago. And in, in France, you have tons of different local accents, which are pretty fun. Uh, but people still have that accent coming from their you know, surroundings. So their family first, their father, mother, brother, and sisters, that they have some grandparents and, and environment. So all those people, it's funny because you, you're, you, the way you talk has been you know, influenced by all the uh, you know, external stimuli you had from, from, from your, you know, uh, generally your, your childhood. Um, so yeah, it, it feels like death, death is terrible, but yet 
we we carry on a torch that that is the memories of all the people uh, who who were there with us. That's why inspired for the very soon the 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 core concept of you know uh, every farm sim has an idea of you progress through through activities like you have to build the barn then you can raise whether you actually have cows in the barn or or chicken or whatever and you just like learn that through schematics in general so you have schematics and oh that's fun i can receive a schematic from someone or buy it from a store and then i can build the farm and then when i have chicken eggs i can actually make an amulet to give to that person who and all those all those systems they just compile from a gameplay perspective and gameplay you know uh, motivation uh, point of view towards the next uh, activity you want to get in a farm sim which is always fine except that you've given that by the game and the way we wanted to twist that in Spirit Fair was, yes, it will still happen. You will still have that same itch, that same management uh, itch. But everything Stella learns, she learns through the spirits, which is exactly what I told you. you you've you been told things by people. I mean, you've been told how to talk by your parents, how to walk by your parents. You've been told how to operate Discord by someone else or even like someone on the internet in a, in a, in a YouTube uh, tutorial. I don't know how you did it, but I mean, it's just like you are always, <laughs> sure. you know... Uh, taught by others and your life is that product, uh, which was the first thing we wanted to do in Spirit for her, like show that yes, it feels like Stella is there for the others because she is, yet her life cannot progress further without them and it's their influence that shape who you are. Yeah. I will confess that when I first saw Spiritfarer, I sort of thought it was going to be this beautiful narrative with management sim stuff layered on top, just so there was some kind of gamey game stuff for the player, right? Like just that the two would not necessarily connect. And having played it, they very much do for all the reasons you're saying, right? That, that's why I sort of wanted to peg that it's about labor and about the process of death, which is a huge part of death positivity. Um, I had Gabby DiRienzo on a while ago who used to run uh, the, the Play Dead podcast. She also made yeah. a Mortician's Tale, which is a game about yeah. a mortician. As the, yeah, yeah. And like the idea that there is useful work to be done in and around and for death is sort of ennobling and sort of beautiful and, and spirit fair reinforces that in a bunch of ways you know not least by the fact that these different yeah you're when you get the the smithy or the or the or the sawmill yeah. or whatever mm -hmm. you have a memory of of working there with someone and they're exactly. excited yeah. to show you and all of that and that that really is more you know i mean i i think about um you know cooking in real life or really any skill i've gotten i i, I carry with me the person who i learned it from or who i learned it with and that, you know, I'm the sum total of all of that, as well as, like you said, previous generations. It, it it captures that in kind of an abstract but really beautiful way. And it does it without even twisting the mechanics too much, right? It just it just connects story to gameplay in a, in a really, or plot to gameplay. You know, gameplay is story, I suppose. It connects the two in a very elegant way. Yeah, thank you. It, it was really the goal. I mean, the uh, I'm, a, I'm a fervent adept of, uh, I think the first time I heard it formulated was by... Uh, Fumito Ueda from The Last Guardian and mm. Shadow of the Colossus, and he said something really interesting in the sense that I think his exact sentence, I mean, I won't quote it in Japanese, of course. Because <laughs> sure, not, sure. Yeah, but, but I mean, he said something along the lines of, you know, I think games are interesting because they can create an experience that only games can do, uh, which makes you think about what are the, the reasons why a game is a different experience than, say, a movie or a book. I remember when I talked earlier about the cutscenes in Assassin's Creed. I mean, they are a very weak attempt at trying to reproduce something that should not be in a game. I'm a, I'm a bit exaggerating. Cutscenes are cool and everything. It's just that uh, a game by itself, uh, 
and its mechanics should be uh, mean to an end, and that end should be the emotion you feel. Um, so it feels like uh, the, the game design in itself. It's not. It's not an, an objective. The game design is a tool to help you feel stuff. Uh, it could be a narrative. It could be something else. But again, the mechanics are there to help and support a purpose. And that purpose to me was exactly what you said, which is feeling that you are interconnected, feeling that people help you out uh, to become who you are. Um, another example of this is, uh, I believe, I'm not sure because I wouldn't want to put words in their mouth, even if they have really loud mouth, uh, but about the GTA series, you know. Uh, GTA 5 is an awesome game. It's an absolutely stellar game. Yet it feels like those guys, they could have been doing movies. I mean, they were what, multi-billionaires now, the, the, you know, the House of Brothers. I mean, they could have done something else with their lives. They, yet they still continue doing games. And I right. think I think the reason why, and I'm absolutely projecting there, is because they could reach something through the interaction of, of a world, a satirical world in of you know uh, Northern America and Western California and, and their exact, uh, sorry, Southern California, their exact you know, example, that is only reachable through games, which is being immersed in a world that contains all the satirical elements and make you feel something different. And the best example of this would be how uh, well thought out is everything around the characters. Like think of the ads. Like you have the you know the advertising panels when you reach uh, LAX, the airport in GTA Five. Mm-hmm. I think it's for the brand. It's meant to to be Apple, but but funnier, you know, like uh, more more bitter. Oh yeah, what? Well, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and then you get yeah, the yeah. Uh, the orange fifteen, and the the, <laughs> the ad is extremely blunt and make you feel silly and stupid. It's perfect, yeah. and it's really meant to be there. It's it's just a panel in an interactive world, but yet you can see that that you feel like the world around you is so exaggeratedly exaggeratedly satirical, and then it has an artistic message, which that's what we think about you know society in general uh, that can only be uh experienced through a video game and kudos to them to actually you know that's what i felt so i feel like video games should be doing this should, should try to not separate their mechanics from their purpose or narrative it should be intertwined and the mechanics are there to serve a purpose exactly yeah because games games uniquely can make you feel like you're you're in a place right you could you could put those kind of quick gags in a movie or a tv show especially an animated one right but if you're making like an animated tv show and you're not adding at least a few gags that require you to like freeze frame and go back, then you're not using the medium to its fullest. Similarly, if you're making a game and the gameplay itself, the, you know, the core loop, the progression, whatever, is not reinforcing what you're trying to say thematically, it could still be a perfectly good experience, but you're not like, why did it have to be a game, right? It could have been a movie or a book or something else. Yeah, exactly. So coming from that principle, I think that games can open up to try different things and it should have to go through uh, the players' experience, the world uh, by the, the the their toolbox have been given, so their agency, and and more specifically how the how the mechanics are, are set up. The idea for the game didn't really start with wanting it to be a game about death. If I if I remember from my research correctly, it started with just the idea of, of wanting to make a management sim. Like that's that's what got the team's blood running. Actually, I think it was both. I mean, when I, when okay. I joined the studio, uh, a pitch was formulated. The pitch was. A picture of uh, Charon, so the uh, the Greek mythology, and you had a, uh, a French illustrator called Gustave Doré, and it was, it's you know one of those uh, 19th century illustrations where it's it's all black and white, and and it's very dark, and it feels uh, it feels terrible. You feel that character, and he's a bony character on a on a on a black you know uh, boat, um, and juxtaposed to this was a picture from a still frame from. Uh, 
uh, Studios Ghibli's uh, My Neighbor Totoro. And it was it felt like a challenge. Like, hey, can you make a game that tells that story within that type of universe? <laughs> like, yes, I think I can. And then on the side, there was that idea that how to make that happen. Uh, the team wanted to tackle something more along the management lines, and uh, Alex, our CTO, uh, was fond of you know Harvest Moon and Stardew Valley, and it felt like something an indie studio could actually achieve. Um, hmm. So it was. I had those three elements. So actually, the the narrative, thematic pitch, and the general guidelines of what type, general type of game design. But it was a blank slate, you know. Beyond that, it was like, "Hey, we have this. What can what can we do about that?" Then no, sure, sure. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it makes perfect sense in in the sense that you know, in the same way that we're the we're the sum total, we're the we're the the next step in the story of our grandparents. We are like the artistic children and grandchildren of of Dare and and Miyazaki and Harvest Moon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. That is. It makes sense to like combine all of those things and 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 see where they come from. I guess it just strikes me that if you're if you're looking at a, a, a traditional image of of Karin. You know, dude just kind of rose a boat. Like the the idea of taking care of the dead is maybe orthogonal to that. Like like this is the process, and the process has to be respected. But there's nothing especially managementy about that portion of Greek mythology. You know, I guess I'm curious why that why the why those things seem to gel so quickly, or was or was it more like was Ghibli the bridge between those things? Because those movies, Miyazaki's movies in particular, are, are so much about yeah. life and and food and color and mystery and all that. Yeah, absolutely. That's. I think you 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 answered part of it. I mean, it was it was a bit. You know, I think maybe Miyazaki was the was the well, Miyazaki's movies were a bit. You know, the 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 missing link. Um, but when I when I was thinking more about you know uh, games that inspired uh, a bit, spread for like spirited away, of course, uh, there is a nostalgia. There is a a, a moment where you feel like uh, something was and is not anymore, but it's not sad. You know. Which is exactly what Spirit for aimed to be because of that. Mm. You feel like nostalgia is about being, you know, uh, aching for a time that is gone, yet reminding it so it can still live within us. Um, so that exact concept actually helped me uh, think about Spirit for. Because yeah, there is. There doesn't seem to be no, absolutely you no know, link between a management team and a boat on a on a Styx river. <laughs> of course, it's not. Uh, I think also there was that the very first idea was something uh, Spirit Fair was meant to be more of a, of an in like you had to have spirits coming in and giving out which was which was really more spirited away like you know with, with the bathhouse the bath yeah. yeah we're coming inside and you had to feed them and take care of them but one thing that changed pretty fast was that you had on the on, on in the inn or there was a train at first as well I mean, you can like holding a train. Uh, it was still that concept of, of embarking spirits and leading them somewhere um, within, uh, you know, uh, uh, more of a fantasy world that, that felt whimsical and, and, and colorful. Yeah. Uh, but at the beginning, the game was more about uh, the spirits were not front and center. The front and center was the crew. You had a crew. Uh, see, in Spirit you have all those denizens, so people who seem to not need your help the people who live in the, in the city and they do and they say goofy things uh which Ooh, is we should just say this is, this is like a, a super minor spoiler like the first five minutes maybe but the denizens you just see as sort of these cloaked figures it's very sort yeah. of you know greek mythology greek afterlife someone who comes right. aboard the boat you see in their their true form which is sort of an anthropomorphized animal 
Um, so there's there's like a sharp distinction between the people who who need you or who you can help very directly and the people who you're helping a little bit more indirectly or casually. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. You have those characters that that uh, feel of the world. There's there's a reason for that, and it's hard for me not to say it without going to spoil the territory about Stella Star. Everything everything we're saying that makes this different from other management sims and also other games about death is totally justified in the narrative. Either like with you know like I and yeah, it's it's tough to say more without spoiling stuff, and the surprises are really good. So if we want to at some point cross a spoiler event horizon in this interview, that's totally up to you. But yes, I'm I'm also fine to keep being coy because it is a game that rewards you know the going in somewhat cold. Yeah, I, I can say a few things. I mean, it's uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, nothing in, in is inspired for 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 no reason. Everything is there uh, to serve a purpose. But uh, what I can say is that those spirits they don't really need Stella's help. They don't. They are not part of Stella's story yet. They are still sure. dying around Stella, so they they need to be acknowledged. Anyway, so those characters they they are uh, also the as I say the spirits that you that actually need your help. They are they are in that shape before you embark them. But in the actual first iteration of the game. Uh, the denizens were the crew, and you had mm. to find spirits in the world, and the spirits were not really exchanging with you, uh, which was contrary to what I believe the game should be, uh, should have been, which was about uh, care and, and and empathy, and actually, uh, you know, exchanging with, with others, as we as we brushed about uh, in the same, you know, uh, ten minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, also, so yeah, that, be... that, that's how it came to be. Yeah, I was just gonna say it would be a very it would be a very different game. If you had a crew, right? Like if, if you basically got to the point that you get to in some management sims where you have automation, where someone is milking the cows for you or, or, or what have you, or, harv- or you know, watering the wheat or harvesting it, the fact yeah. that Stella is sort of doing all of that herself – I think is a huge part of the tone and it's 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 part it's one of the sort of core pleasures of the game is you know juggling all these tasks and thinking about what you have time to do while your boat gets from from point A to point B. Um it would just be fundamentally different if you were more delegating than doing it because I think like that to, to the degree that it is about you know labor and care the, you know the fact that everything is sort of farm to table on the boat is a huge yeah. part of what makes it feel so intimate right that like when you when you hand someone an omelet you know the the eggs came from chickens that you hatched, and the and the you know and the and the the cheese is something you put in your own cellar and whatever. Like that that to me is a huge part of what makes the game tonally work. Absolutely, thank you. I'm I'm, I'm glad it worked <laughs> because it could have gone you know, in a different direction. But yeah, no, it, I think it works in a way, um, and I'm glad you liked it. It's just that you know, yeah, that's that's true. Uh, you know, the studio is is you know uh, filled up with creative forces, and I I think I just brought the the link and the reason why uh, i just brought the, the 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 coherence the narrative tone in a way that that made sense everything was there as i told you i mean they, those elements were really existing within the, the studio mm-hmm. they just missed a link and and just a simple why why we don't do this which comes back to what i told you about you know why game mechanics should be the way they are and uh so yeah spirit fairy is really um about this, uh, about helping others, but it's it's also about Stella's story, about why she meets those characters specifically and how it influences her own life, uh, which was probably the most complicated part to assemble in the game, um, about you know who she is and why she does that and how she you know how can we actually tell her story without her saying a word? Uh, all of those elements were were probably the most you know uh, difficult uh, things to put in place without spoiling what the answer is um yeah. i do want to say that i love the way you handle it uh, with sort of a light touch 
um, because you know without without a single line of dialogue and without sort of breaking the fiction um, and with sort of a clear artistic delineation between what's really happening i'm wiggling my fingers here uh and what's happening sort of within the core world like if you're if you're looking for an answer if it's important to you that you understand you know who stella is and what's really happening and all that there is an answer in there but if you don't care it sort of doesn't matter like her journey makes sense completely just within the context of the of the you know the 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 core metaphor right the fiction the the management uh, uh game uh, and, and that to me Absolutely. is great. When whatever angle you're looking at it from, you see sort of the image that wasn't was you know intended or what's important. That 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 is really hard to pull off from a narrative design perspective. And I think this game manages it. Yeah, yeah. thank you. I think it's still it's still you know I, I wish we could have done it a bit better, but we, I think we achieved something which is uh, interesting enough. Uh, I can't. I, I won't tell you exactly what happens uh, in Cell Story, but I can t- I can give you a bit more insight on on how uh, this came to be because mm-hmm. um, there are several uh, creative techniques that I like to use and one of them was uh, brought to my attention uh, a couple of years ago maybe like five or six years ago and it was an interview made by Dan O'Bannon which was uh, alien uh, scriptwriter working with Ridley Scott and um, uh, H.R. Geiger you know who made all the drawings of the aliens. And he said something really interesting to me, which was everyone, I, I won't, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to actually reproduce his, his accent, but he said uh, something that um, was everyone thinks Alien is a story of uh, of a monster in space, right? You're the people are, there is a crew stranded in, on a starship and they are attacked by an alien monster. And that's what people think. Uh, when they think about Alien, which is what it is on face value. It's literally this. Uh, but we, what he said was that to him, it was a story of a woman being attacked and raped in a back alley in New York. I was like, Jesus. wow, that's exactly it. I mean, every every scene is meant to emulate that type of metaphor, you know, that feeling. You know, when remember, first think of all the sexual innuendos that, uh, that exist in H.R. Geiger design. The, mm-hmm. the way the alien himself itself made. Uh, think about the scenes where she's actually, you know, uh, crawling in, 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 you know, in the alleys of the Nostromo, and she's attacked by that very, you know, terrible and foul creature. That's that's exactly it. I mean, I, I, you can see the scenes and see, oh yeah, I guess that's how it makes sense. And that's yeah. how you can, in a way, reach that emotional level, that fear level, that that inner, you know. Uh, Anxiety when you when you watch it. it's a terrible movie to watch uh, when you see that uh, it, because it it aims at telling something else and what you see is just smoke and mirror it's a metaphor it's a screen uh, so I used exactly the same technique for Spirit Fur it tells another story than what you see um, and at first what was hard for us was actually uh, how much of this would be uh, shining through in the game. Because when I say this about Alien, you would have no idea. I mean, it's it's very, very hard to tell. I mean, when someone tells that, say, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. But if if no one would have told you, you, would have, you, would, you wouldn't really know. Uh, Except maybe someone was, who's had that experience, right? Like, that's... Yeah, that's the, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. they would feel something, and they would see those, those images, and they would uh, connect the dots. But it's still, you know, hard to decipher. Uh, whereas for Spirit Fair, we actually question ourselves about this. Uh, how, where, in which direction, I mean, how... How hidden should that thing be? You know, yeah, uh, yeah. how much should it be existent? Uh, to a degree, I think we had you know a hard time trying to see uh, 
on which you know foot to dance on which you know uh, side of the coin to to be um, and we ended up going to do something which is more of a hybrid it you see tiny elements of Stella stories of course towards the end of the game um, but you know it's it's a tough thing to do but that was still the creative you know mission to me it was it was the uh, well, not when I told earlier, but we had another <laughs> metaphor for spirit fur. And, uh, but with, I still trying to tell a story through the means of the metaphor that you can see in the game. Yeah. And I think it's very smart in where it's, where it's sort of a tight coupling and where it's a loose coupling, because, yeah. you know, I think, you know, each of the spirits represents a person one-to-one. I don't think that's an especially, yeah. uh, an especially big spoiler, right? Honestly, but, but I, I'm spending my time saying they are not animals. They are people. They are a right. person. <laughs> Right. And that, I mean, that is, that is clear and that's explicit, but you know, the, yeah. the game doesn't belabor it, but, but you know, I was, I was, I was saying, you know, those are one-to-one, the events are not necessarily, it's, you know, one-to-one it's, it's not as though, oh, when there's a meteor shower that represents this precise thing about, about Stella's yeah. psyche or her day or whatever. Uh, some of it, some of it is just stuff that makes sense within the world of the metaphor. It's almost like a, what's, what's, what's that word for a metaphor? That's like two steps removed, a patophor or something, right? <laughs> Once we have this core yeah. metaphor, you can have metaphors within that metaphorical yeah, yeah. space. That's right. And that's sort of, that's how you tune your brain into applicability back in life. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was more thinking about how, how diegetic he was. I mean, how, how coherent he was within that world. Um, generally, events like the the meteor, the meteor shower, they do represent something, but on the spirit side. Uh, if you take, right, for example, the, right. uh, the, the, the meteor shower, I mean, uh, Giovanni brushes on it a bit. He talks about how, you know, he was in the war. Again, that guy was inspired by my grandfather, so he was a, mm. uh, a resistant fighter in France uh, during World War II. And I had vivid memories of him recalling, you know, uh, German bombardments, and not just German. Actually, it was actually uh, also British and American bombardments because you know the Germans they were living in the city, so they were bombarded by by uh, by Allied forces. Um, but still, the he he could recall pretty specifically moments where he felt he had to hide uh, and think coming from the sky, making lights and exploding. And he would still had to run around and find friends who were scattered across, you know, cities and streets because he was, uh, you know, a, a civilian fighter. And that's 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 probably the main the main, you know, uh, reason why the meteor the meteor shower he looks like this in uh, Spirit for That's because of Giovanni. Same for for uh, the type of event like the uh, the dragon for Summer, which is linked to her cancer. Uh, mm-hmm. Same for the jellyfishes for for Gwen. Uh, the the it's it's still through Stella's eyes, but it's linked to the spirit story. Sure. Yeah. You know that's that's a really good point. Like they are they are one to one in a certain sense, but it's not. I su- I suppose what I what I was trying to say was that it it's not as though you can decode every single thing and take right. it back yeah. to. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, but to your point, you sort of can. <laughs> I mean, like it's it works on both levels, which again I think is sort of the achievement. Um, I, I think a lot of players get really caught up on on diegesis. They worry so much about the rules of the world that they forget yeah. to think of things metaphorically. And I, th- I think what I'm what I'm maybe teasing out or trying to about Spiritfarer is that those two things are not really different. Right, like everything that works diegetically yeah, the way it does in the world right. works that way to enhance the metaphor. So, like, you have to be yeah, thinking and- about theme. Yeah. Absolutely, that's perfectly right. It's uh, probably was the influence again of, of Miyazaki's movies because you have the same feeling when you watch Spirited Away. You're always questioning why you're seeing what what you're seeing. Is that is it is it real? Is it in your mind? Is it something that that uh, Shihiro's dreams about? Is it something that actually happens? 
uh, are really her parents uh, morphed into pigs when they eat at the beginning of the movie. Uh, it, it it's it still feels like you're not really there is a, an internal coherence, so the diages is really respected uh, because you have the 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 witch and the witch has got a, another sister, and there are, you see like there are forces in that world, so it feels like something that that could be hardly dreamed up by you know a 12 year old girl are very complicated with very complex rules about cultural uh, Japanese tradition about dying and anyway so it, it's all really complex yet it feels like it's still a bit of a you know a daydream that she had <laughs> um, so you have that very uh, intense structured uh, coherent uh, world fantasy world yet it feels like a bit of a metaphor yeah um, yeah and it's not maybe not just Miyazaki. You can probably make that case for uh, traditional folklore tales, you know, about you know, in in Europe, in 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 North America, even. I mean, you feel like all those tales they they have something which is beyond the face value. You naturally know what it's, you have a hard time putting your finger on it, but still there, you feel it's there. Yeah, yeah, and 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 animals are a classic way of doing that. Some American writer, I think it was yeah. David Sedaris, said like if if I say you know, you know, Bob and Brenda were having coffee. You have a million questions about what Bob and Brenda look like and are they married and whatever. If I say, you know, Squirrel and Hedgehog were having coffee, you have no questions. We can just start the story, <laughs> right? Yeah. And like, th- there are a lot of those sort of like aesthetic shortcuts. But but to your point, the only rules you have to be consistent about are the ones you've established. So like the more the more stuff you want to put into the world about how things work, the more responsibility you have to maybe write a world bible or or just be consistent right. with your metaphors. But you know it you know nothing that the story has had only the stuff that the story has said matters matters. That's something I think a lot of storytellers get lost in. They think that everything needs an ex- an explanation, right? We're like, where did the boat come from, <laughs> and or, or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean it, it. It works for 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 certain kinds of world. I mean, I'm I'm a huge Tolkien fan, and he's been you know above and beyond trying to create. He's the, the king world of that. that yeah, yeah. yeah, He's he's the crown jewel of of how complicated a world can be uh, defined. Uh, so I think it works with insert certain uh, type of experiences. But for for Spirit for as I told you, it was a bit of a different approach, um, which <laughs> funnily in a way you know uh, took the team back when I told them yeah. Uh, things that you know they were they were all trying to make that world with an internal coherence and when I told them you don't need to it felt a bit like I was lacking off I was like why wouldn't you want to actually define how those islands interconnect to themselves and why how they trade which is I don't care it doesn't really matter you know it's not really the point <laughs> right, right. you know you don't really need to understand what those people eat why they do what they do it doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't really happen this way um, so it's really meant uh, and and built upon the idea of you know what uh, what values uh, do the uh, the world the fantasy world have, uh, and how it translates into uh, an experience that makes sense from what's trying to achieve from a narrative and an emotional you know standpoint. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm also I'm a firm believer that you almost want certain things that aren't explained in too much detail because it just makes the world feel lived in right the fact that there are these these different regions in the game that clearly have their own culture and their own way of being but they're also you know they're also interconnected they all they all want the new dice boys record you know like they're (laughs) the idea that it is a coherent world but it has all these little lived in elements that may or may not be important to gameplay or to the core plot but but again just make things feel credible like real is the wrong word but 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 believable 
uh, it's that that's a good balance too. But it 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 sort of asks a lot of the player in a good way. It it asks you to be willing to engage with multiple layers of reality rather than sort of having everything spoon fed to you in a big lore dump, which no one likes, but some people nonetheless want. If that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you that you know one of the the toughest moments for for me in the game development was not as far. I mean, it was in uh, June maybe, so this year, a couple of months ago. Uh, because we had a, we had two big playtests for the game before we released it. Uh, they were more aimed at trying to find bugs and everything because we have a very small QA team, so it's hard for us to actually like, you know, expect you know that many players to find everything. Sure. Um, but still, uh, we still, of course, ask question about the game content itself and what 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 people felt and 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 thought about it. And uh, there were a very high proportion of players who actually like didn't really like they liked the game they would say that the game was 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 fun to play and everything and they had feelings as i say but they would still not understand and it felt like a barrier to their enjoyment of the game it felt like many of them were you know uh, they didn't have enough elements uh to actually understand what was going on there which was uh problematic to me because it felt like it's not really that important and you, sh- you shouldn't feel like you're left you know off and you shouldn't feel like uh the game is not, uh, how to say that, pompously trying to be mystical or, you know, hide something from you. It's not really <laughs> right. this at all. It's not being obscure um, on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, it felt to me like I, I missed something. And then uh, when we released the game, it was a bit more uh, understood. But as, as I told you, I mean, I think people, and you, you uh, told it, you know, uh, aptly, I think people, you know, focus on the spirits. And this, some of them will, you always have that portion of player who get it all they understand everything everything is in the game is understood perfectly in sure. a wiki somewhere and i like wow people are so bright uh but still there is there is uh, on the other hand of the spectrum people who don't get it at all uh but we're we were lucky because it didn't really matter that much uh even if we didn't get it at all you would still have the feeling of having you know uh help alice walk uh, on the deck and you will still leave you know through uh a tool's mysterious disappearance and and puzzling as to why he was you know, not there anymore. You will still, you know, have to uh, uh, read through uh, Stanley's final words. So you, all those moments, they will still, you know, heat you up. It doesn't really matter if if you understood or not the story. Yeah, no, and all the parts you just mentioned wrecked me in various ways. So <laughs> sorry. So so thanks for that. No, no, no need to apologize. I I, I knew what I signed up for. Um, but yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I. I think one of the things that I I didn't have a hard time locking into the game or anything, but I, I did sort of, there was a dumb part of my brain that kept expecting more of the rules of the world to get explained at some point. Yeah. And I'm so glad oh, you don't do that. Sense, yeah. But there's there's such a temptation, I'm sure, to do that in a game about the afterlife. Like, what are the rules of our afterlife? And That's, you know, that's exactly yeah. true. Yeah. And you know what? That's, that's, that's why I say uh, to my team, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I mean, m- myself, I had that itch. You know, I, I had to refrain myself from writing more about how the world worked because it felt to me that it would distract from from the real reason why the world exists. Um, and definitely, uh, it's it's a tough thing to to do and to 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 gauge properly uh, because you feel like as a, as a as a game designer, as a nerd, as a geek, as as anyone who, <laughs> who likes fantasy worlds, you want to go more into it. You want to write about stories and cultures and and you know. Uh, people and why they do this and names and all this and a fun fact i mean at the beginning of the game as i told you like the well the 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 
Greek mythology references were much higher, and all the spirits they had, uh, you know, mythological Greek names. Uh, they would have names like you could see while playing Hades. You know, they would have mm. names that were all you know coming from the Greek mythology. And quite soon in the project, it felt to me like it was completely off. I mean, yes, I would, I, I could have called, you know, the first island the Blessed Isles of the Elysium because that's what the metaphor is. That's what that's how Stella sees it, you know. But still, they have another weird name which is linked to her story rather than anything else, to to be more personal and not that, you know, remotely distanced from what she felt, rather than you know a world that existed for itself. Um, even if, in a way, uh, Spirit First World is still mapped on the the. Greek hell, you still have that concept of Phlegaton and Styx and uh, Acheron and, and Asphodel fields. It still exists somewhere in Spirit for, uh That's how it started. Then it morphed into something else. But you still have those references within the world. Very, very much hidden. But they're still there. And uh, It felt hard to not go further into that direction and to <laughs> sure. actually backtrack from it and do something else. Yeah. No, it fe- it felt uh, very purposeful that you start you start the game again. This is a spoiler for the first like couple of minutes, so I, I think <laughs> I think it's okay. But you meet yeah. you meet Karin, and and it's it's yeah. it's basically like you know like you said it's a different characterization, but Karin is basically doing what Karin does, and then you leave, and Stella is forging her own way, and from there it is less like the traditional Greek myth or or, yeah. or any story you've heard before. Like that that to me felt like you planting a flag, the team planting a flag saying, okay, this is, there, there will be recognizable cultural, you know, mythological touch points in this, but this is, this is also different. This is our own thing. Yeah. This is, this Tell is something how, yeah. more dreamlike maybe. How, how hard it is. Uh, Karen, when I first brought Karen, he was a very goofy character. He was like, he felt like an old dude who was really like talking like a young one. Uh, <laughs> he was really, I mean, he, he was, um, that was, that was intent to actually right from the start, break, break from that mold. And that dude who's, who's at the bar and he's ready to retire. He's got like his shirt unbuttoned yeah, yeah. and the gold chain. And like, yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. He, he felt like really off. And that was on purpose. And then, you know, he did, the mouth came by and then the team told him, ah, I really don't like how Karen talks. He looks really weird. I mean, he sounds like a, you know, a, a, a juvenile, you know, 15-year-old from 10 years ago. It's weird. Uh, so Karen came back to be more, you know. Uh, classical and more, you know, uh, Tolkien-esque in his way of of speaking, and more, <laughs> sure. more heretical. Like he speaks like Karen, you know, like like that entity, and he would speak like the way you expect it to be. And then you're right. Then it works because it it moves away from this. But to go back to the idea, it's it's hard to gauge, you know, and to yeah, at which moment to do, uh, and to decide how to break that, you know, ex, uh, uh, what people expect. Um, it's it's tougher. You said it yourself. I mean, you, you you go into a world like this and you expect things to make sense. You expect things to understand that world. Uh, the same way you would try to understand the world if you were playing the the Witcher tree or Divinity, you know, original sin or, or Dragon Age. You say, okay, I understand there is a fantastical world and this, this world has rules and everything. Um, but because we couldn't do it, uh, it was harder for us to to find this, you know. It's a difficult push and pull because, of yeah. course, part of the appeal of like escaping to a fantastical world is that it's simpler than the real world, <laughs> more bounded, more understandable. You know, you're the most important person in it, which 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 helps. But also, just it's it's easier to understand. The world is vast, but if you're right. focusing on death, the vastness is sort of important. I mean, like I I think it's uh, I'll compare your game to one other really good game from this year, uh, Necrobarista. Yeah. Uh, where which which is a little bit more interested in the rules, but again, only insofar as they matter. But but the really important thing is that this is a liminal space between life and death, and nobody knows what the next step looks like. 
You know, like right. to me, to write an emotionally honest story about death, I say this as someone who is not especially a person of faith, right? So I know this is not a universal view by any stretch, but to me, that uncertainty is really necessary for it to feel real, you know, because at bottom, there are just things we don't know about death and what's next. And if you're going to explore the emotions, you have to sort of acknowledge that. Absolutely. Now, that was another hurdle for us, which is, which was how do we treat the end? Uh, and the portal is there to remind you that you don't know what's after. Uh, there is no, I mean, that's the thing with hell, right? It's, it's, it's fun because it's, it's a final destination and you know what's there. There is no mystery. <laughs> right. Uh, right. I mean, you go in a place and that place look, looks like this. Ah, that's the answer. I mean, it's definitive, you know, answer to a problem. This is, Whereas, this is why the idea of hell can be comforting for people, even though it's horrifying, right? Because at least you yeah, know, yeah. right? Ex- exactly. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like death because what, what makes death so special is that we don't fucking know. We don't, we have no clue. I mean, it's, it's hard to sell. I mean, it, and that's what makes it terrible at the same time because you have always that lingering doubt of what's going to happen. And it's hard, it's very hard to wrap your mind around that idea. And that's probably the reason why, you know, mankind, you know, made all these stories about death and what would happen afterwards. Uh, funny thing at the beginning of the project, and I, I, I researched uh, a lot both from the real psychology world and, and meeting real people who are in the end of life, but also on the other side, uh, psychopomp entities in different mythologies from Egyptian mythology, Greek mythology, uh, Norse mythology, tons of, I mean, many mythologies do have this concept of entities that basically take a dying soul by the end and brings that soul towards that destination that their religion, the mythology promises you that exists, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and it may be good news or bad news, but but you'll but you'll get an answer. That's that's part yeah. of the appeal. Yeah, but the well, f- from Greek perspective, it's it's a terrible thing. I mean, he, he you have a very small window to do things to do things right and be nice for the rest of eternity, but generally you would end up in a place that is not so great. I mean, and the worst part is that if you don't have a, a noble in your mouth when you die, then you just you know linger forever in between nothing. <laughs> it's a very tough proposal. It's rough. It's so rough. Yeah, you kind of have to be scared of that situation when you're living. That so, oh man, I really not need to mind what I'm doing. Um, but still, you know, it's 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 really interesting to consider. You know, uh, what would make people afraid of death, and what how death would actually shape their their lives. Uh, and with because with spirit, for I want to do something kinder. What to to see that well first. Uh, we haven't been kind in ourselves as a, as a as a species. I mean, we really created stories that are not really comforting. Maybe you can say that from a Christian point of view, it's you know, or actually monotheistic point of view. Um, paradise and heaven are kind of nice, although they feel a bit boring. I mean, you, you feel like you're just <laughs> worshiping something forever. Is you know, I mean, if you're um, if you're talking about Jewish heaven, you literally study for eternity. Which I'm yeah, again, I'm a nerd exactly. like you. So to me, I mean, that's not the worst. But but it's not. There's something unsatisfying about it, unlike a like a gut level, because there's so much more to life than that. And the idea that the rest of it goes away and you're just left with that is sort of there, there's something about it that just did that itches at the back of your head, right? Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Uh, so yeah, it going that direction, it felt to us that uh, well, and to me that you know, with spirit for we had to uh, it helped us, you know, find the the right uh, proposition to to do something, you know. Uh, different than this and a bit of a contrary to this. So, I mean, it it makes sense to hear that you think, you know, the the we don't fucking know aspect, again, is something that 
Like that, that's what I think you can sort of drift away yeah. from a little bit if you get too much into what are the rules. You know, if you, if you, um, I don't know if you saw the show, The Good Place. Absolutely, yeah, uh, yeah, I yeah. Loved yeah. I loved it too. I, 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 the only thing that I, that I, that sometimes again, like, sort of, or pecks at the back of my head is just that in the first two seasons, it's sort of wonderfully existential, you know, and like <laughs> the question that no one's asking but sort of pervades the text is like, why should there be a hell in the first place? Mm-hmm. And as the show goes on, it sort of abandons those questions. It, it becomes completely about the characters, which, from a writing perspective and just like telling a satisfying story, is I think a very smart choice. But it's like that question is sort of unavoidable, right? Like, how does so many people mm-hmm. think that a fair universe involves most people being tortured for eternity. Like, what exactly is comforting about that? Um, you know what I, you know what I mean? Like, they're they're uh, when you when you view it in the context of the society that came up with those ideas, it's it's illustrative. You know, yeah. you learn something from Judeo Christian uh, uh, beliefs about Judeo Christian societies in the same way that you know. I mean, this is this is a wild oversimplification, but like. You know, ancient Egyptians believed in a very orderly afterlife, and they lived by a river that flooded very regularly. Mm-hmm. Mesopotamians believed in capricious gods who didn't care about you and maybe even hated you. They lived by the Tigris and the Euphrates, which flooded in a very right. unpredictable yeah. way, right? Like, exactly. there is a certain... It, it's it's that same thing you were talking about, where a stamp has been left on you by generations of experience. Mm-hmm. But it's like, the idea of of landing on an answer is very is very foreign to me. But I do think there's a human there's a human drive. It isn't just about you know gamers wanting lore. There's a human drive to want to land on an answer because not knowing can can sort of drive you crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I mean, uh, I was actually surprised by uh, the fact that not that many people picked up on that uh, thing. The fact that I didn't we didn't actually say anything about dying in Spirit Fair in the sense that we didn't we didn't give no answer. Uh, there was a door that you had to cross, and you had that portal, and then you went away, and you didn't know what happened. Uh, I thought people would react to this more about being, you know, uh, puzzled uh, as to why that thing existed in the world about, you know, the afterlife. Because actually, in the end, it's not really the afterlife; it's the afterlife. But there's another, there's another after afterlife. <laughs> after afterlife, yeah, yeah. So you, you know, it feels like it's a bit weird. I mean, when we think about this, and people didn't really pick up on this, uh, but as I told you, were more about puzzled about the, the or questioning uh, what was in that world that we didn't explain. Uh, but so maybe it was a bit of a same question, but formulated, formulated in a different way. I don't know. There is something uh, fundamentally hopeful, though, about the idea that whatever's next after this, there's something next after that, because it means that next thing might not be final either. You know what I mean? There, yeah, yeah. it, It's more daunting and more mysterious, but also a little bit less. You're, you're not committed, <laughs> which, again, like the comfort of stories about the afterlife is the idea that everything gets sorted out neatly and it's just. But that's also, to me anyway, kind of terrifying and, and, and oppressive, you know, the idea that the idea that what you do for you know 70 years or, or way less or whatever determines your fate for eternity there's something fundamentally nuts about that you know oh absolutely absolutely yeah so stories where there is something else and then something else and then something else are, are sort of appealing to me on a gut level as are the stories where you know like with, with um i'm thinking about aztec uh, beliefs or something but like the idea yeah. that like the afterlife too is a proving ground you still have a chance to change your lot and it might be easier or harder for you that may not be you know it may not be fair but you have a chance um i think what, what you know the 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 christian understanding of an afterlife is is just freaky to me because you're just screwed <laughs> you know what i mean like it's it's over. It's so it's so completely final. Like the Egyptian thing, where you know your your heart gets weighed against the feather of truth, and you're good or you're not. <laughs> but um, yeah, even, most yeah. Uh, most antique uh, religions were this way. Uh, yeah. And now, if you go back into uh, well, if you if you because we did that as well. I mean, uh, we um, I 
took a long, long, hard look on, you know, uh, Asian mythologies and more specifically Buddhism. And then when you have like any idea of uh, cycles of reincarnation and, and the metempsychosis in itself is, is a bit worth a weird thing. From a Tibetan perspective, you still have to, it's a bit of the same thing. I mean, you have to go through several lives to reach nirvana, which is a state of nothingness, which is fun because it leads you towards several uh, life cycles towards the thing you actually dread in the first place, which is nothingness <laughs> because you die. But yeah, no, there, there is, there is something Buddhist about the way, uh, it, it gets sort of presented in spirit fair where yeah. when you're ready for, you know, if you, if you interpret it as, you know, once you go through the Everdoor, that really is it. You go when you're ready. Once, once you've, you know, you keep doing this until you're ready to not anymore. <laughs> there is something again, very humane about that yeah. idea. You said that earlier. That's, that's a, that's a, that's interesting. You could take it this way because to me, it felt like that's, that's how it's. Uh, presented. That's how he actually spirits would tell. That's how Karen tells you. Uh, but what happens is that all the characters they have a pretty you know, extensive background and stories and, and reason why. And one of the first thing that uh, we define, I define it for characters where you know how 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 true, uh, how right they were about wanting the things that they thought they needed in a way. Hmm. And that's something that I. Um, that actually uh, came from my interviews with people in, in you know, end of life uh, facilities in general, mm. um, which is not you know the funniest moment of your life. I can tell you that going weeks after <laughs> weeks to yeah. people who know they are dying, but it's still pretty much you know, uh, say that um, enlightening and interesting, and you feel better after this. It takes some time, but you do. Most people won't tell you that they actually uh, miss having spent uh, much time at work and doing overtime. You know, it won't happen. <laughs> sure. uh, most people will say that they, that they, you know, their biggest regret is not having spent time with their families and, and traveled and, and you know, uh, spend time for themselves more. But still, many people are wrong about what they thought they should have been doing. Well, wrong. They, they wanted things in their lives that really didn't help them achieve any form of peace whatsoever. Sure. Uh, looking looking so, back, the things they the things they wanted were not the things they needed. Exactly. And it, it happens in the same way in Spirit Fair. I mean, you people, some characters, they will formulate explicitly things that are right. I mean, the way it was constructed was that the spirits that you meet at first were more in line with their desires and were more attuned to their inner self and they were like more able to determine what was good for them or not. Uh, characters like Summer, for example, she's a, a shining beacon of this. She knows what she should be doing and she does it. Yet she still had that, you know, lingering fear about, I know, the dragon. But uh, some of the characters later in the game, they they, they tell you pretty silly stuff. Uh, Giovanni is a good example of this. Uh, Bruce and Mickey are, are terrible characters for this for this reason. Well, they're terrible persons for this reason. <laughs> yeah, they're great uh, characters, but I know what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. because they, they they well actually, Bruce rather than Mickey. Mickey is just like really not existing. But Bruce is more <laughs> thinking his brother wants stuff, whereas his brother couldn't care less, you know. And uh, same for Giovanni. He wants things that are completely idiotic. She he should never want this at all. Yet he continues, you know. Uh, and that's and some, because... some people move from their, so I was going to say some of them move from their wants to their needs and some of them just realize their wants don't make them happy. And they're like, well, I, I guess I'm done, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, exactly. And so that's very the, real. Yeah. That's right. So the kind part comes from the fact that Stella, no matter what, will do what they want. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, she, she should have probably done something uh, more in line with what they needed. And that's where the, 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 the most difficult part comes in because then you feel like you've been doing something for someone and that someone wanted something silly that didn't really help them at all. Yeah. Um, 
that's what I love about it, right? Because again, we're we're not obsessed with the rules of the world, but we are. The, the game is very um, honest about the implications of the core idea that you ferry people around until they're ready to go, right? Like, well, what if what if their priorities as to when they're ready are off? What if they're not in a mental state where they can make that decision? What if they're not an adult? What if they, like there, there's all these there's all yeah. these different yeah, kind of dark but but very compelling notions that are sort of attached to the core idea of the game that the game is not shy about exploring. Yeah, but it's it's specifically true for Stanley because Stanley is, a, is an example, good example of this. I mean, it's a uh, it's much harder to to think and to write about a, a child dying, yet it happens all the time. I mean, of course, of course, yes. Yeah. And uh, I had uh, the biggest memories I had from this was my my brother who is a, a doctor. He was doing his internship at the beginning uh, in a, in an oncology facility for children uh, in southern France and. Jeez. He came back with so many heartbreaking stories about child passing away and and you know ten year old uh, being struck with cancers and you have to know that cancers when they uh, occur in children are much 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 more aggressive. Uh, it's because of the cell rate reduction is much faster and 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 you know uh, vigorous in children. So the cancer spreads right away. It's terrible in general. Um, so it's 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 a very tough thing to do. Yet a child faced with uh, his or her own mortality takes things differently and will still want to eat popcorn and watch movies, you know, which sure. most adults don't really care about. But a child, they will still do this. So they will have that mix of sometimes they, they, they just like say nuggets of wisdom that that really, you know, makes you wonder about around, you know, uh, adulthood. And then they will ask for something extremely silly that any children would want to be doing. Uh, so you have both. That's why Stanley is, is making you doing silly things. That's what he wants you to be doing. He doesn't really care about this, but sometimes it catches up with him, and then he thinks about very dark things because he's actually, you know, burdened by this concept of him passing away. Um, and it's hard to not, you know, uh, actually, you know, he, it was a tough thing to write a carriage, uh, children dying, uh, to have a child dying. But still, we, we had to do it because it felt, you know, like a true a true experience that people would live. It wouldn't be emotionally honest if you, if this were the core idea of your game, but you didn't seek out the, because, you know, as soon as you think about the concept for two seconds, okay, well, not everyone's an adult when they die. Not everyone's lived a long, full life, you know, as, as some of your spirits have, right? Like these, these are, these are just things that are, that are true about life and are obvious implications of the concept of the game. And I, I really think it's to its credit that it, explores them and, and doesn't do so in like a lurid or or like sadistic way it just does it in a very honest way yeah i think what helped us the most was you know uh trying to build the characters as, as if they were people and as if the people yeah. actually existed and many of their stories are, are real stories that told to me by people who who lived through this um i couldn't have constructed you know um honest characters and and you know um true characters if 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 that you know, uh, research hadn't been made, in my opinion. Because yeah, you yeah. then you just write a character, even if you have a very good way to write them, it's still just a character. You have to build up your your knowledge of stories by, by meeting people who live through this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that, actually, if you wouldn't mind talking about it real quick, um, uh, Gustav's story. I know you got some yeah. some attention uh, for for the way it handles the fact that, you know, in right. life, Gustav was uh, was a wheelchair user. 
Um, yeah. And there, there's this kind of trope that exists across media where, you know, where, where disabled people daydream about not having their disability. And it's kind of a shitty trope because, you know, if you actually talk it to is. disabled people yeah. about it, they are actually like they consider that part of who they are. Right. And, and when they fantasize, it isn't necessarily a fantasy of not being disabled. Right. So I didn't play the game right at launch. I know I know you had talked about changing the part that people found, you know, drifted too close to that trope. Has it been changed yet? Did I did I see the original version or did I see an altered version if I played this week? week that's a very good question and thank you very much for for you know uh giving uh, handing the mic to me on this it's uh, Please, yeah. well it's right now you're still playing the old version um okay. we're still working on the on the new one uh what i can tell you is that uh, of course it wasn't at all our intention to uh for the words of gustav to come across as this um actually what he says is that uh, even if he says very very you know uh clumsily in a clumsy way uh that people actually would resume him to just a chair and would see him for what he was, what if what they, what they saw and not what he felt he was. So it's actually the opposite, but the words that he says are, are really clumsy and it, it makes you think that he wants to be out of it. Uh, whereas actually he's kind of, he's still, you know, burdened by it, of course, but he, he would never actually consider uh, death as a, you know, uh, freedom from his chair. It wasn't really intended this way. Anyway. Uh, it wasn't our intention. It was really clumsily said. Yeah, I understood where you were coming from because because this is a minor spoiler, but you know Gustav is is an art collector curator yeah. and uh, and talks a lot about like imbuing objects with meaning and humanity. And you know, and by, by the end of his story, he's talking about how like as soon as he stopped using his chair, the chair didn't have humanity, but it did while he was using it. So it's like it's right. it's this weird relationship between objects and people. That to me the intent was clear, but obviously, you know, tropes are tropes and obviously, you know, my Absolutely. reaction to it is going to be very different from someone who is a wheelchair user or or has Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 the biggest problem is that because we uh it's 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 highly normal that that people who live through that situation are are extremely sensitive about it. It makes perfect sense, um, and we're really you know appalled and sad that it would actually interpret this word this way. But I completely understand it. And so what we did was we wrote different versions, and uh, we are in the process of making those versions reviewed by a panel of people with disabilities uh, to to see because it's a it's a you have a you have a, a range of reactions, and we we. When that that little story erupted, I mean, some people were 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 angry at us, uh, which made sense, and some other people were just writing to us, no, no, don't change anything. It's it works for me, and I'm I'm in a wheelchair for a long time. So we have, uh, of course, different opinions. So what we do now is that we we actually re changing and making different versions, and we are uh, making them screen through a panel of people who will help us uh, help us, you know, actually make more conscious decisions. Uh, which is entirely the point. And it's also a reminder that, you know, you always have to be uh, watchful of what you do and, and how you can be perceived by people. Uh, I would never, ever uh, dismiss their, their, you know, their, their, anger, their, their anger because they are right. It would be extremely uh, pretentious of me to say that they're wrong because they're a living situation that yeah, I yeah. don't. And uh, the worst part for me was actually to see people uh taking our defense saying things that we would actually never endorse you <laughs> know 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, because, yeah, because you weren't saying those things, but what you were saying was close enough to things other people have said that are saying that, that it's, I mean, this is, this is why tropes are so powerful, right? Like just by alluding yeah. to, to, by getting within a country mile of something that is a commonly made argument, you appear to be making that argument. And I, I think the way you yeah, handled exactly. it in your public statements has been very like, like reasonable and mature, which is like, this wasn't our intent, but the intent doesn't matter. The effect is what matters. And it's exactly, probably, it's probably, yeah, 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 it's probably impossible to make this work for everyone but we can make we can make it we can be informed about what makes it not work for people who've lived that experience yeah you have to be vigilant and and to be honest we weren't i mean we we thought it was because we we were you know firm and and we're fine with our intent that it felt like the 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 worlds themselves wouldn't need to be reviewed but they were and that was a mistake we made and uh we I'm, i'm pretty sure that we going forward we will not do that mistake again it can still of course happen because we will still won't you know uh, censor ourselves not writing about things that matter to us but of course we need to make sure that those words cannot be misinterpreted which was the case here yeah yeah no and it's if you're going to tell a story about difficult emotions and, and hard things in life you're playing with fire and that's indeed part of what's appealing about it right like you're yeah. it's possible you're gonna you're gonna make someone feel bad but you want to make sure you're making them feel bad in a way that's productive and interesting um and it's and it's and to your point how arrogant would you be if you said well yeah i'm trying to express things that are very true about about life and how people live it but you're wrong about how you live yours i'm the writer and i i know that i yeah. said it perfectly right the fact that you're not doing that is i think is is very much to your credit because there is i'm sure there's like a knee-jerk defensiveness of like but no, no no that's not what i meant that's you know but that's again that's that's not the important thing the important thing is is the work and making it as good and as real and as true as possible yeah exactly that's that's the first reaction which is i guess normal thing but that's not at all what we meant but still it's still there it doesn't really matter which is an understandable reaction but it's not going to yeah. make the work better right like exactly and yeah, yeah. and you know uh specifically from coming from a place where we were which was we wanted to be spit for it to be a kind game you know that and we're pretty lucky because uh, the community we have is extremely you know thoughtful we have uh, a huge amount of reactions to the game people writing to us saying how how moved they were how important the game was for them and how touched they were uh we said at the beginning of the uh for interview you know the, the during a pandemic many people lost relatives mm-hmm. and they couldn't really be there for them um so it, the game helped them you know uh, going through um loss and going through uh you know uh, uh those tough moments for them so we you know we really want to 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 help people out and so hearing something like this is heartbreaking for us because we feel like we failed there uh and again our intent didn't, didn't really matter uh it was how the words were perceived so we want to as much as we can we won't you know do that mistake again for sure yeah no for sure for sure well yeah no thank you for thank you for that because i mean um you know, you've, you've, you've made your intent clear, but there hasn't been, I haven't, I haven't heard you talk about it too much since. So, so thank you for fleshing that out a little bit. Um, yeah, I just had the, uh, the, the rest is taking a bit of time because we, we, we want to make sure that the, the content is translated and the, mm. uh, the whole process of localization for a, for a small studio like us, we have to, it's a bit of a big overhead and, uh, we have, we were pretty lucky because we shipped the game on many platforms, but <laughs> you know, we have like seven platforms some for, for a team of 13 people. Uh, it's crazy. So each time we put it, we push a patch on Steam. Then we have to also push a patch, push a patch on, 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 on Switch, on, on PS4, on Xbox One, and on, on anyway. So it's a, uh, it's a bit crazy. Uh, so things take time, unfortunately. So we have to make sure that the first, first two content is is proper in English, then translated, then pushed into uh, builds. So it, it takes some time. Yeah. And especially with something where where the whole point is is great sensitivity about language. You know, it's it's. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there's a process. Yeah. Um, 
okay, if I ask, you know, you're, you're, you're working on that. Can you talk at all about sort of what's next for you for the studio? Is there, is there more Spiritfarer stuff? Are you moving on to the next projects? And if so, I really wish I could. Yeah. No, actually, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't. We're still in a bit of a, uh, of course, we're extremely happy with uh, how the game was perceived and the results of it. And then, and, you know, how it was reviewed and everything. Um, we're, I don't know if it's public or not, but we're, we're still working on Spiritfarer a bit. Uh, at the very least, we want to make sure that, uh, uh, the the bugs that still occur in, in in some platform here and there are ironed out, and sure, players sure. will have the best experience they can. Um, we're still trying to consider what else we could bring to uh, Spirit Fairs the table. We would probably uh, ask the public at some point to see uh, if and if yes what they want from uh, some new stuff for Spirit Fair. Uh, but right now the team is enjoying, you know. Uh, well-deserved holidays. Uh, we're all pretty slow and and soft, and our brains are mushy. Yeah. Uh, so it's a delight to talk about this, but at the same time, working on it right now is a is a bit of a of a tall order. We're still, you know, in the aftermath of having shipped the game in the absolutely in a, in a very hard situation. <laughs> no, totally. I know. I I don't mean in any way to exert pressure <laughs> to go back no, to it. Fine. I I ask for two reasons. Number one, because I know people would want to know, and because people love the game, and and number two, because I'm always very curious about how studios handle the post release. There's you know there's the saying that a game. Is, is not done when it's released. Um, sometimes that's literally true because there's early access or there's planned content updates or whatever, but I, I, I hear less often than I would like to what I'm hearing from you, which is we finished the game and we, we took a vacation, right? Not, not that you never hear about it. You're not unique in that way. But I, I, I do feel like a lot of developers get trapped in a cycle of uh, solo developers in particular, you know, like being yeah. constant customer support and, and the game sort of never ends. So the, the fact that you found a healthy pace is great. And is you know is, yeah. is of course it's good for sustainable work. It's also just good for you as human beings. Thank you. It is. I mean, it, but it's, we're still we're still trying to uh, mail the programmers. I mean, to 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 finish off all the all the bugs that we find and all that. But you know, we we we're actually the question we're asking the officers now to be transparent is uh, we're not entirely sure what else we could bring to Spiritfarer. We still we could, but we're not set on what, and that's why we're kind of you know pondering we're taking a few step backs and, and looking at, well, the game is a, is, is a success for us, so it's a, it's a good thing. Um, but we really want to ask people around you know, how they think. Would they actually be, you know, I mean, that's a question for you, Drew. Would you have well, more spirit for you? Would you see more spirits, more things? I mean, it feels like the game itself has, a, you know, a, an end. Uh, yeah, yeah. Could you go at it forever? I mean, you, you've been, you know, crying, as I say, like, and you've been uh, having a tough time, you know, coping with the... Uh, with the sadness and the loss of, of, of digital characters. I mean, would you want to live that more? Uh, it's, the game the, the game is still pretty long. I mean, it's still, you know, around 30 hours-ish. It's, you're, it, you're, leading the witness, it's... you're leading the witness a little bit, but... Uh, but, but... <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's right. Uh, maybe <laughs> I... you are, maybe, maybe. I mean, I've, I've, you know, we have been really... I, I would be really happy to add more characters, spirit, more spirits to spirit for it, but is it what people want? Uh, if the answer is yes, we'll probably do it. If the answer is maybe no, then maybe we won't. I think this is a this is a very meta question because it probably is what I want, but it probably isn't what I need. Um, does that make sense? Like, like if <laughs> yeah, there, if there were more Spirit Fair, I'd play it because I loved the game. But it's an enormous game already, as you say. You know, and I like it, yeah. it. It took a good chunk of time, and the ending does feel very final. And I I like the final state that my my boat ended up in. So. Yeah. 
like, like, I guess my, my absolutely honest answer is if there were more, I would a hundred percent boot the game up and play it, but I'm not sure I would walk away more satisfied than I am right now. Does that right. make sense? Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's, that's our feeling as well. Yeah. Now, uh, now if we'll there see. were some yeah. kind of like, if there were some kind of like additional content that like, that just like made, I don't know, gave you the opportunity to optimize the boat even more or whatever, like I'd probably do that, but, yeah. but probably the same answer, right? Cause like, then it's this weird melon, melancholy thing where, you know, contextually in the game, this is just Stella stalling, <laughs> just like sailing around forever, which is sort of not the point of the game. The point of the game is like letting go, saying goodbye, all that kind of, th- all that kind of stuff. So as hard as it is to let it go, because the game is beautiful, I think there is emotional value in letting go of my playthrough in the same way I let go of these characters I love, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe we end there. <laughs> maybe this is, maybe this is double meta and we're also letting go of, uh, of the conversation. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we end the conversation on ending the game. And yeah. That's a, that's a good point. <laughs> those, are, those are good layers. Well, thank you again for well, taking the thank time. Thank you very this much was... for your time. It was a really, really nice conversation and really insightful, uh, uh, question you had yeah oh, i'm very very glad you thought so I, I thank you so much for your, your thoughtful answers and for making a really just gorgeous game uh highly highly recommended visually gorgeous we didn't talk much about the art or the music because we were sort of focusing on the storytelling uh but but they're my my goodness it's beautiful to look at and beautiful to hear um, thank you thank you very much thank you drew thank you for your time and uh yeah uh, i have a i have to jump into a minute so okay all good and thank you again and uh have a, have a wonderful day thank you very much you too right, so long bye and that's the show. You can get Spiritfarer on Steam, Epic, GOG, Itch, Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and Google Stadia. If you are playing on an Xbox thing or on a Windows 10 PC, the game is included in Game Pass. The Everybody's Talking at Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger Michaels, with question crafting, word getting out, guest booking, and sheep shearing support from Francis Michelle Cannon and Lucio Valentino. Our logo is by Aaron Perry Zucker using icons from The Noun Project. You can find the show everywhere podcasts are a thing, including but not limited to wherever you're listening to this right now. If you want to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash etao. Thanks tremendously to our current patrons with a very special thanks to the mysterious Ian K., Lucas Kosen, and Darth Raptora. You can also find our whole back catalog at etaopod.com, and that plus all our writing at etao.blog. We're on Twitter, Twitch, and such, at etaopod. Stay sane or something like it as we move into this last mile of 2020. Thank you, as always, for listening. See you next time, everybody.